Thank you, Brother Vaughn, for reminding us how big God is. Amen. Praise His name. I'd like to do something a little different. I don't know if there's, if uh, this will backfire on me or not, but I always like to do something a little different, keep us on our toes. Um, but I was thinking tomorrow's Memorial Day, and it's a day we remember those who gave their lives for our country. And uh, I would like those that have someone that they are remembering tomorrow, if you'd please stand and uh, just say the name of the person that you're remembering, and maybe you just say uh, what your relationship, whether it was a, a, love, a family member or a friend or whatever the case might be. But if uh, you have someone in particular that you're remembering tomorrow, I'd like you to please stand. Mm-hmm. Is there a certain name that, certain someone that, that you're remembering tomorrow? Yes, Sister Peck. Uh, yeah, Bonnie. I'm <laughs> sorry. <laughs> My brother Jackie was killed, and he wasn't in the war, but he was killed in a train. Yes. All right. All right. Thank you, Sister Bonnie. Brother Jackie died in a training incident as a paratrooper. Someone else, have someone that you're going to be remembering tomorrow. We're a, we're a blessed people, really, as I think about how, how I was trying to think of, as, 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 I, was, as I was thinking about this, that um, Memorial Day coming up tomorrow, I was like, I don't, I don't think I know anybody who died in, in the war. I, I know people, I, I have friends and loved ones who, who do, um, all of my uh, friends and uh, family members who went to war all came back that I know. So I'm thankful for that, and uh, we we'll, we honor them in Veterans Day. Um, my grandfather, I'll think of him. He didn't die in in the war, but of course he's passed on, and he um, fought in World War II. And I'll be thinking of him, uh, I'm sure, tomorrow. But. Um, we live in, in ver- relatively peaceful times. I know that, I know that many had loved ones, uh, especially World War II, Vietnam. Um, many of us uh, have, have those names. You know, Morford's not a real common name. We've been to both the, uh, the Vietnam War Memorial that's in D.C. and the, they have a, a traveling wall that they do. We've been to both, and um, Vietnam War Memorial wall has, has two Morfords on it. Uh, and I don't know that I'm related to either one of them, but uh, at least not, probably not uh, for many generations back. But um, I think... You know, for as rare of a name as it is, um, for there to be two, it just speaks to just the magnitude of of what war has uh, has done 
uh, to in our history. And uh, thankful, thankful for those who gave their lives. Thankful, for, especially for those that got to come home alive. Uh, I wouldn't be here if, if my grandfather hadn't come home alive. So thankful for that. I invite you to turn with me, if you would, to the second epistle of Paul to Timothy. Paul's second letter to Timothy. And uh, we're not going to necessarily be speaking on uh, our soldiers this, this morning, but um, Memorial Day is, is a day to remember day to remember and I would I'd like for us to to think about that theme this morning. I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's word, Second Timothy chapter one. And I believe we'll start in verse one. I Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, Greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance of uh, the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and in thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Lord, I thank you so much for the privilege that we have of being here this morning. Thankful, Lord, that you've called us together to worship. Thank you for your word. We ask this morning that you would hide us behind the cross. May you be glorified and honored. In your precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Have you found it easier to forget than to remember? My forgetter works really well. Of course, I'm not sure any of us is as forgetful as, as Albert Einstein, that great man of physics and science. He, uh, he called the office one day, and he asked the receptionist, he said, may I please speak to Mr. Einstein? And the lady said, I'm sorry, he's gone home for the day. And uh, he says, well, uh, could you tell me where he lives so that I can go and see him? And The receptionist says, I'm sorry, I can't tell you where he lives. Uh, He's a private man. He doesn't want visitors in his home. And very quietly, he says, don't tell anybody, but this is Albert Einstein. I've forgotten where I live. (laughs) That would be pretty bad. I don't know if if that's 
worse or better but, uh, uh, than what you can do. I'm not sure I can pull that off. <laughs> but um, as I, I was thinking of, of another story that I heard of a, of a police officer who was making his way through the uh, train station. There was a commuter uh, train station, and as he was out in the parking lot, he saw a lady who was an obvious discomfort just over her uh, steering wheel. And he went up to her and asked, he says, ma'am, is, is everything okay? And she, she looked up at him, a mixture of tears and laughter. She said, for 10 years, I've been bringing my husband to this train station, dropping him off for work. And this morning, I forgot him. <laughs> oh, it's... I would. I, I just can't imagine forgetting, forgetting that bad, and and yet, to be honest with you, I can't tell you how many times I can't find my keys. I don't know why it is. I just can't find my keys. My wife has a place for it, and every time I lose them, she reminds me that if I put them where they go, that I would have them. I still don't put them where they go very often. It's easy to forget, and it's hard to remember. It's hard to remember. And every year as we get to this time of year, as we think of Memorial Day, I, one of the things that, that strikes me is that we need a reminder to remember. That's why we have this holiday. It's a reminder to remember. And I know much is made this time of year about, you know, we... This isn't a you know, National Grill Day. This is national, you know, this is a day to remember our veterans. And, and I don't mean to, sometimes I think we harp too much on things. And I don't like to be one of those that just nags people and just harps on it. But just, just as, I, as I think about the fact that we need to be reminded of that, to be reminded that, Tomorrow is a day we're supposed to remember those who gave our li their lives for our country. And, and here only one name, and thankfully only one name, but I think because it doesn't touch us personally, that it can get really easy. I as I understand it, that the USS Arizona and, and Hawaii is, uh, on an average day, gets about 750 approximately people on an average visits so many those about 750 people will show up but on memorial day the number jumps to like 2500 just jumps on the the vietnam war memorial in 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 dc the the difference between an average day and tomorrow is about double about double, from about 4,000 to almost 8,000 visits. And I think we need a reminder to remember. A reminder to remember. I don't think it's because we're ungrateful. I, I, I really don't. I, I, I believe we are grateful for our freedoms. I believe that we are uh, grateful for, for their sacrifice. It's just that it's easy to just go day by day living what we know and living what is 
our routines. And it's hard to remember without a reminder. One of the, we have one of those Google Home Minis. And I have, I have gotten to the place where I've, if I need to be somewhere at a certain time, or if I, I, I can tell it to set a reminder for me. You have this appointment. You need to go to a certain place. And it'll beep at me and it'll send me a message on my phone saying, hey, you, be, you need to be somewhere. I love that thing. <laughs> Before I had that, sometimes, I, sometimes I'd be in trouble. I'd, have to, I'd really have to keep track of the time. Sometimes I would forget appointments. We need reminders to remember. And in our text, Paul gives us three reminders, three things that we need to remember. The first thing that Paul tells us is that, that he remembered Timothy in his prayers day and night. He remembered the generation that's coming on in the place of prayer. Paul knows that he's about ready to, to die. He knows that the end of the road is coming for him in this life. His ministry will soon be over. And he's fathered Timothy, spiritually speaking. He's, he's been there for Timothy and, and, and he's tried to mentor him and help him spiritually. And he knows that Timothy is going to be on his own, so to speak, in just a little while. The mentorship will be over. There will be no more phone calls to dad saying, how do I handle this situation? Now, I know they didn't have phone calls. It was parchment and, and poor delivery systems. But you know, there's some kind of security to just know there's someone there that you can, that you can contact for help. And Timothy's going to face some difficulties. In fact, Paul says in here, he says he remembers his tears. I don't know if Timothy was, was just a sensitive man or if he was prone to depression. I know that he had stomach issues. We, we, it seems like from Scripture that, that he, has, he has a physical ailment. And science is telling us that, that they're believing that it's possible that the, we, where we once believed that psychological problems caused stomach issues, Stress and worry and all those things caused ulcers and caused uh, you know, people to have stomach issues. Now they're starting to wonder if it's actually in reverse, that stomach issues are the ones that are, are the thing that's causing us to have depression and, and some of these other mental health issues. Because there's more nerves that communicate from the stomach to the brain than there is from the brain to the stomach. And so now they're doing some new research. And if, if it's true that the stomach issues can cause emotional difficulties for us, then Timothy, who faces these things, and, and Paul is giving advice to drink a little wine for the stomach's sake, drink, drink some grape juice, take care of your stomach. It might be that Timothy also suffered some emotional difficulties. He says, I remember your, thy tears. But whether he faced emotional uh, difficulties or not, what we do know is that he faced a lot of persecution. There's, there's Judaizers that are coming and, and, and trying to for, tell new Christians that they got to be circumcised and they got to uh, follow the Old Testament law and everything has got to be just so. They've got Gnosticism is on the rise. There's other kind of heresies that are creeping into the church. 
Persecution is ramping up. Paul's going to be, to be uh, executed. In fact, Timothy, as history relates, tells us that there was a procession to the goddess, uh, I believe, Diana. As, the, as they were making the procession, Timothy got up in the street and started preaching to the procession, and they beat him and stoned him to death. Timothy is going to face some hard days. The loss of his mentor, the persecution, the, the battles within the church. And Paul is saying, listen, Timothy, I remember to pray for you night and day. And I believe this is a call to you and me to remember to pray for the generation that's coming up. Those that are coming behind us. Those that are, that are, are, uh, uh, are making their way through. And, and, and I don't know, I mean, each of us, we have a different place than where we are uh, in our age and, and how soon we're going to make it to heaven. Hopefully all of us make it. But we have a responsibility to pray for the generation behind us. We have a responsibility to hold them up. We, I don't know if this has always been the case, but it has been in my lifetime, that it seems like the older generation mocks the younger generation. Gen X loves to make fun of millennials. We complain about their work ethic and we complain about they all want a trophy and, and we've got all these things that we kind of, we, we criticize the millennials. And I'm not saying some of those criticisms aren't valid, but here's the problem. We create a gulf between the generations. We create a separation as we look down on the generation that comes behind us. As I understand it, the Gen Z graduated their first graduates this year. And now I, I, it concerns me as I'm thinking about this Gen Z, how will, how will Gen X and how will millennials treat Gen Z? Now, some of you aren't into generational theory, but, but let, me just, let me just say I have a concern that we are driving them out of our churches because we don't accept them for who they are. And who they are is largely our fault. Because we raised them. If they don't have a good worth ethic, that's not their fault. That's our fault. If they think everybody deserves a trophy, well, who gave them all trophies when they were in Little League? Us. And if we're concerned about Gen Z, and we don't know a whole lot about them, but all their lives, all they've known is the internet and social media and stuff, and if we're concerned about, about their inability to communicate face-to-face, -face, folks, whose fault is it? It's ours. We gave them the technology. We didn't help control it in the home. Not my fault. It's my kids' fault. They raised the grandkids that way. Well, maybe so. But you did, did you help them? Do you give wisdom and direction? Are, are we so quick to criticize others we forget our own responsibility? Do we pray for this generation to come? Finished Brzee says, We owe every man, we are debtors to every man, the gospel in the same measure as we have received it. And I think about... I usually think about this in generation. I, 
I usually, I, when I think of Phineas Brzee's quote, I, I change it. This is the way I say it. We owe this generation the gospel in the same measure as we have received it. I owe Gen X and I owe millennials. And I, own, I, owe, I owe the Gen Z. I own all the generations that, that are before me. I owe them the gospel in the same measure as I have received it. Just yesterday, I received a phone call from my spiritual grandmother. She says, I have some bad news to share with you. That's never good to hear. Especially my spiritual grandmother's getting up in years, and I was afraid she didn't have a good diagnosis or something. I, I kind of panicked when she said it. And she said this. She said, we had a meeting on Wednesday. And... The campgrounds that you grew up going to, to camp in is in bad shape. And this coming Wednesday, we're having a meeting and we're going to vote. And it looks like we're going to close the campgrounds. And I thought, what are we losing? What are we losing? From the time when I was growing up, there are six holiness preachers, six holiness preachers from off that campground, from just my generation. It's at that campground that I was saved, at that campground that I answered the call to preach. And I think, what's going to happen? Of those, of those six, three of them came from either unchristian homes or very liberal homes, uh, homes that, that, that pretty much... Maybe they had Christian in the name, but that was about it. Half of those preachers come from that environment. And I think, what are we costing ourselves? What are we costing ourselves? And I understand the finances, and I understand that, that maybe that is, is something that has to be done, but I'm concerned that we're not concerned about the next generation. I'm concerned that, it, that we don't remember to pray for them day and night. That when we see their tears, that we say, oh, just wait till you get to my age. I've seen a couple of people post this on Facebook this week, and, I, and it took all I could to not, to not wag a, a finger at them. But they, said, they had the graduates, and they said, congratulations, graduates, you just completed the easiest part of life. Now, maybe that's true for you, but that, that wasn't true for me, to be honest with you. When I got through high school, that was a glorious and wonderful thing because I got out of a rough home. I was glad to graduate, and I, there's, you can't give me enough money to go back. I'm just, just being honest with you. I don't want to go back to my high school days. It was not the easiest part of my life. But I think, you know, we, we take... A joyous day, a day that, that we remember as one of our, our, of our special days. And, we, and, and, and we're going to say to the next generation, just you wait, it only gets harder from here. Why would we do that? Why would we rob our young people of joy? Is it because we've become cynical old people? Is it because we spend more time criticizing and looking down than we do in the place of prayer and lifting up as Paul did Timothy? 
Paul said, you're a son to me. Then there was no biology. There was no, that Paul had no obligation to Timothy biologically, but Paul spiritually said, I'm taking on this responsibility. And I wonder, who's our Timothy? Who's your Timothy? Who's the, who's the young person? Who's the person from the next generation that you're not related to, that you've taken responsibility for? You say, it's not... I don't feel called to that. I think every one of us is called to that. I believe all, every single one of us is called to mentor someone who is not our blood to help them to make it to heaven. Paul had Timothy and Titus, at least, plus others that followed him, worked with him, that he mentored. And some of them didn't make it. Demas didn't make it. And others didn't make it. But Paul, as a father, a spiritual father, he took it upon himself to pray day and night, to labor and, tr and try to prevail in the place of, of, of prayer. To, and not just in prayer, but also he got his own skin in the game. Something I've been realizing more and more is that our prayers... Unless we start putting some skin in the game, likely aren't going to be answered. Until we start being willing to, to do what we need to do, putting forth the effort, putting forth the, uh, uh, the energy, and I'm not saying getting ahead of God, but, but asking God, what can I do to bring this about? I know of a case where there was a, a car accident and, and someone's life was hanging in the balance. And someone prayed. It wasn't me. It was a, a friend of mine. He prayed. He said, God, what can I do? I'm praying for their life. I'm asking you to spare their life. What can I do to bring it about? And God said, fast. And he did. And, and that person lived. And I wonder... I wonder if some of the reason that we aren't seeing answers to prayer is because we either don't have the burden that Paul had for Timothy or we just won't put our own skin in the game. You know, it's easy to ask. My kids ask for a lot of stuff, especially the younger ones. They want... Taking, the, kids, taking the, the younger ones to the store, I did that just, was it two weeks ago? I about lost my mind. I don't, I don't know why they do it, but they, that candy right there as you're trying to, to go out, the, I mean, come on. I know why they do it, because parents get sick of hearing the wants all the way through. By the time you get there, you're broken down. I mean, seriously, folks. If they ever start a grocery store line that has no candy in the checkout aisles, that's where I'm shopping. It's worth the extra 10 bucks if it's what it costs to groceries. They about drove me crazy. It's easy to ask. But it's a different thing when we have skin in the game. As we were headed out the door, I think I got said no all the way through. I think I did good. I was, I was the... You know, the mean dad, I said no all the way through, got through the checkout line, was doing good. And, uh, of course, they have the gumball machines out there. And Aliana had two quarters. 
Dad, can I have some gum? I've got a quarter. And I said, yes. It was her own money. She had her own skin in the game. And it changed my answer. And I wonder, folks, I really truly believe that sometimes our children can teach us a lot about the nature of God. God calls himself Father. And I wonder how often it is that we say through, the, through life, gimme, 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 and God's like, no, 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 you're driving me crazy. That's a, and you say, God, I got two quarters. I know a woman who, as a young person, was going to public school and suffering terribly, mocked for her faith, mocked for wearing dresses and skirts. And I don't remember what, I think she had $2, and she went, she went to, to one of the leaders and one of the pastors and gave him the $2 and said, I'm giving you this money to start a Christian day school. $2. That was in July. By August, they had a Christian day school. What am I talking about? I'm talking about this generation that's coming up behind us, whether you're the generation behind you is millennials or whether the generation behind you is Gen Z or whatever the case might be. I'm asking, when you pray for them, do you carry a burden like Paul did? Do you put your own skin in the game for them? And folks, it's not just money. We can throw money at the school, and certainly it needs it. I'd love to see that multi-purpose building completed. The teachers need it. The kids need it. I'd, I, wish, I hope they get the money to do that this summer. I really do. They need that facility. But it's not just about putting money in it and forgetting about it. It's about getting ourselves, investing ourselves in these young people. It's about carrying a burden about carrying a burden. So Paul tells us first of all to, to remember the next generation coming up. Remember them in prayer. Remember them in, in mentoring them. Remember the caring about, just caring about them. But then he says, I remember, I remember your mother and your grandmother. I remember Lois and Eunice. I, I remember those that invested in you. And do you know this generational thing isn't just one-sided? The gulf between us isn't just the older ones mocking the younger ones, but it's the younger ones mocking the older ones. One of the things that I keep hearing is from the younger generation is, it's your fault for the mess you've handed us. The environment's your fault, and the economy's your fault, and all this stuff is your fault. And I'm just like, wow. Good luck. You can fix it for your kids. There's a separation. There's a story of a, of a young cowboy who was riding, riding his horse and he came upon a, an old man riding a mule. And, and the, old, the young cowboy, he, he thought he'd have some fun. He pulled out his six-shooter. He says, man, get off that, that donkey. I want to see you dance. And of course, the old man complied. He got off and the Cowboy started shooting up, shooting at his feet, and the old man danced. Wow. 
He laughed and laughed and laughed. That was so funny. Man, he had a, he, that was fun. Too bad he only had six bullets. He got done. He said, man, that was great. He said, that's wonderful. The old man went through his stuff in the back of the mule and pulled out a shotgun. He said, son, you ever kissed a mule? <laughs> I love that story because it tells us, it reminds us of the wisdom of the older generation. Those that have gone on before us. We need a reminder to remember those who paved the way for us. And sometimes it can get frustrating. Sometimes the older people can be stuck in their ways. But there's a wisdom there that needs to be heard. I'm reminded as they laid the foundation for the temple, after, after they've returned home from captivity, and Scripture tells us something very interesting. Said so the young men rejoiced while the old men wept. What happened? What was going on? The old people, the reason they're weeping is because they remembered Solomon's temple. They remembered the gold and they remembered the, 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 just how beautifully it was decked out and, and, and just, just a monument to, to the wealth of Solomon and, of course, the glory of God. And here they are, they're, they've just laid the foundation, they, they've got it mapped out, this is how big it's going to be. And the old men are weeping because it's going to be a lot smaller than what they left when, back when they were young people. It's going to be smaller and it's not going to be as beautiful and it's not going to be the monument to God that, that they once had. It's not what they were used to. But why were the young people rejoicing? They were rejoicing because finally, for the first time in their life, there's going to be a temple to God that they can worship in. They're not used to having any temple. They're not used to having any place to be able to worship God, as the Old Testament had laid out for them. And for them, this was a time of rejoicing. Maybe it's not what my parents and grandparents remember, but at least it's something. Now, I, I suppose I could preach on settling, but it isn't settling. It was the best that they had. And those young people were putting forth the effort, and the older people were, were, were in their wisdom giving direction and wanting the people to give their best for the temple. And we need the wisdom, and we need the way that, they've, that the, our, the, our forefathers and our foremothers paved for us. I was reading in the Chinese history that during one of the three heroes of the Han Dynasty, and I can't pronounce Chinese names, so I'm not even going to try. I'll butcher it so bad. But one of the heroes, as a young person, was making his way across the bridge, and there was an old man that was on the other side, and as, he got, as, the, as the young man was, uh, was coming across, the old man took his sandal off his uh, foot, and he threw it into the, into the water. And he says, young man, go get my sandal. Young man was, I don't wow. I, <laughs> he went and got it. That's kind of marvelous. He went and he got the, 
unusual circumstance. I mean, he, the guy purposely threw it in there, but he got it. And, and so he brings and he, and he gets the sa uh, sandal and he gives it to the old man. The old man put, picks up his foot and he says, son, put it on me. And the young man put it on his, this old man's foot. And the old man said, son, I like you. He says, you're teachable. He says, uh, tell you what, you meet me at daybreak tomorrow and I'll teach you. And the young man agreed and, and he didn't know what the old man was going to teach him, but if he, he must have something that he wanted to teach him. So the next morning as, as, the, as the sun was, was just coming up, he, the, man made his way, the young man made his way to the bridge and the old man said, you young man, you, 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 you're terrible. You're making your elders wait on you. you. I'm so upset with you. He said, you come back in five days. Don't you make me wait for you again. So in five days later, the young man got up extra early, got there before the sun was even up. And of course, the old man was already there. And he says, you made your elders wait again? What is wrong with you? He says, if you want to learn from me, he says, you've got to be here before me. You've got to be here on time. He says, five days. Don't make me wait again. And so he did. The young man, he, five days, he waited, and he was thinking about it. And he's, he's concerned, and uh, he said, you know what? He says, I'm not going to take any risk. He said, I'm going to show up about midnight, and I'm going to wait all night long. I am not going to have that man beat me again. So a couple minutes before midnight, just a couple minutes before, he gets his, makes his way there, and he's going to camp out for the evening to find out what this old man has to teach him. And not too many minutes after midnight, the old man comes, and he says, I knew, I knew that you were special says, you're the first young person that I have found to be worthy of what I have to teach them. This old man had a book, The Art of War. It was very rare in those days. And that young, that young man learned and studied and studied and learned that book until he became one of China's most celebrated military strategists all because he honored the previous generation. And I think, oh, what do we have to learn? Now, it can be taken too far. I know that. We can repeat the mistakes of the previous generation. I understand that. But, you know, I'm, I'm concerned that we've lost what the older generation had to teach us. I'm concerned that, that we've lost some of the social justices. You know, it, we've, allowed, we've allowed what we call the liberal crowd to take over that, and we've so rejected it because the, that's what the liberals do. But you know that that has been the history of the Wesleyan Armenian people. We have always been on the cutting edge throughout history. We were the cutting edge of social justice. And when the church has forgotten it, God would raise up some firebrand like William Booth 
And they'd throw him out because he believed in, in reaching those that nobody else cared about. I can't think of the name. The founder of the Free Methodist Church had to leave because he was on the cutting edge of social justice. Phineas Brzee, the same thing with the Nazarene Church. Cutting edge of social justice. He said, we've got a responsibility to every drunk and to every downtrodden person. And the church didn't like it, and so they threw him out. Our history has been of those that have been on the cutting edge of social justice. But what we've done is we've traded that in for personal holiness. Personal holiness that doesn't reach out, a personal holiness that doesn't shine forth, that doesn't do anything for the world around us is worthless. It's worthless. Personal holiness has a responsibility to make sure to reproduce itself. If it doesn't reproduce itself, it is dead. It is of no value. We've lost that from our forefathers. We want churches that are like us and made up of people like us and who believe like us. We get more excited about holiness people who move to our community and start attending our church than we do about the dregs of society coming into our church. And that's not what the church is about and not what it's for. I'm thankful for those that that want to move in this community and, uh, you know, holiness folks that want to attend our church. But I, I more want to see us reproducing ourselves than just hanging on to the few we have. We've lost our shout. We've lost our fire. We've lost revival. You know, in the churches there, they're putting in the light shows and their fog machines and their drums, and we criticize them. But you know, you got to replace the Holy Spirit somehow. You do. And you know what? You can either replace him or you can go on pretending you have him when you really don't, which is what most of our churches have done. I'm not trying to be critical. I'm saying we've lost the wisdom of our forefathers and our foremothers. How did we do that? Well, Grandma so-and-so, she was a prayer warrior. She was a real prayer warrior. Wow, I mean, when she prayed, heaven came. Did you pick up her mantle when she passed on? Brother so-and-so was a soul winner. I mean, everywhere he went, he could win souls for, the, for Jesus. I mean, he just, he, he just had the ability. I mean, he could be in, in the store and, and he'd just strike up a conversation and talk to them about the Lord. But when he passed, did you pick up his mantle? I'm afraid our Elijah's mantles are falling down to the ground behind them and no one's picking them up. We keep talking about so-and-so and so-and-so from the past. Heroes of our faith. Heroes that have gone on our Loises and our Eunices. And thank God for them. But who's picking up their mantle? And we can criticize the younger generation for not being spiritual. But where, were, where are their heroes? Their heroes are your memories and stories of people that have gone on. They don't have any heroes. You're supposed to be the hero. 
You're supposed to be the prayer warrior and the soul winner and whatever the case might be. You are supposed to pick up the mantle. And oh God, help us to pray. Lord, help us to find some mantle to pick up. Help us to be the hero for the next generation. Help us to pick it up. We can honor them by naming our tabernacles and our schools after them or we can honor them by living the way they lived. And if we could bring them back, if I could just line up every one of your spiritual heroes up here and ask them, do you want a tabernacle named after you or do you want them to live like you lived? I can tell you to a man, to a woman, they'll tell you, live the way I lived. Means more to me than a name on some building. We want to honor them, honor them by picking up the mantle. Don't let it hit the ground. Don't let it stay there. If it has. Listen, I'm not trying to guilt us. I'm not trying to blame us. What I'm trying to get us to do is pray and ask God, whose mantle do I need to pick up? Timothy would pick up Paul's mantle. Timothy would carry on the mission of, the, of Paul. And I'm asking, I'm asking whose mantle are you supposed to pick up? Say, that's not my personality. If the Lord puts it on you, you do it. You know, I think, we, I think we've blamed our personalities for so much we've talked ourselves out of doing anything. Our personalities are not crutches and excuses for not minding God. It might be harder for us. It might be more difficult for us. But if God has called us, we either believe He'll enable us to do it, or we don't believe God. It's just the way it is. If he tells us he'll do, to do it, he'll give us the grace, he'll give us the strength, he'll give us the wisdom. We need a reminder to remember those that have gone on before us and a reminder to pick up their mantles. We can't pick them all up. God hasn't called us to pick them all up. There are some things that you may never be able to do that God didn't gift you for. He didn't call you to. But I believe with all my heart, every single saint of God has a mantle that they're supposed to be wearing. Every single saint of God. Who are these young people? How are they going to remember you spiritually? They're growing up in this church. How, what will they remember about you? Spiritually. Will they tell their children and their children's children about the great saint that you are? Say, that's not what I'm looking for. We better find it. We better. We better. It's already past noon. I haven't gotten to the last point. I'll just go quickly here. Finally, Paul tells us to stir up the gift that's within us. What is that? He said he received it by the laying on of, of Paul's hands. It's the gift of the Holy Spirit. And what's interesting to me is it says it's not given us a spirit of fear, which is what it seems like most people all running around our churches have, is a fear of smaller churches and a fear of not being able to make, make the, uh, meet the needs and a fear of this and a fear of that and 
it seems like we keep embracing a spirit of fear, but Paul says you don't have a spirit of fear. When the Holy Spirit is inside of you, you have a spirit of love and power and a sound mind. And if we are living in fear, we don't have the Spirit of God in us. I know that's harsh. And forgive me for being blunt this morning. But if all we can talk about is fear of the Antichrist and fear of the end times and and fear of dwindling churches, if all we can dwell on is fear, we don't have the Spirit of God in us. We have the Spirit of man in us. We have the gift of love, the gift of power, and a gift of a sound mind. And he, Paul says you got to stir it up. What does that mean? Well, he's talking about like a fire pit. Every once in a while, it burns down a little bit. And you got to stir it up, get the flames going, put a little more fuel on it. Folks, I'm afraid we've gotten careless with the gifts that God has given us. Careless with the Holy Spirit and not stirred it up a little bit. Say, preacher, that sounds awful scary, stirring up the Holy Spirit. I'm not talking about show. I'm talking about taking steps of faith. It's not just taking a walk around the church when we feel like it. But stepping out on faith, saying, I want to stir up the spirit a little bit. I'm not making a show, but I just, I just want God to know that we want to stir it up a little bit in here. I heard of a preacher that he doesn't believe in any preparation. He, gets the, he just gets up there and he wings it every Sunday. Because he believes that that's the way that God wants to operate. And I'd say... We're, You need to stir up the gift in you. If you've got a call to preach, you have a gift of preaching, stir it up a little bit. Prepare a little bit. Pray a little bit. Study a little bit. Stir it up. Because your gift is going to die down. You know what happens? You don't prepare. You preach the same stuff every week. I've had church people come to me and say, you know, we had a preacher who didn't study, and, uh, you know, they preached the same sermon from a different text every week. You can tell whether they have stirred up the gift in them or whether they're just going through the motions. And I understand. I understand there can be rough weeks. And, and I understand when you've you got the special song, sometimes that you didn't get enough time to practice that week. Sometimes life gets crazy. But that should be abnormal. That should not be the way it always is. We're stirring the gift up. Are we going to stir up the gift that God's given us? You know, we all have gifts. God's given us all a gift. And if you don't have a gift for the church, I might, might I suggest you lost your mantle somewhere. God's given you a gift. Some of you all see things that I don't see. Some of you just do. You see things in the church that need fixed, and I didn't even know it needed fixed. I, I just didn't even notice. Say, how can you be so oblivious? It's not my calling. It's not my gifting. I didn't notice. And I may be the pastor around here, but that doesn't mean I see everything and know everything. In fact, it probably means I know less than the rest of you do. You see things. You know things. 
God's gifted you. If you see a need, very, very often, it's God's way of showing you that you need to meet that need. If you take notice of the need, you see that, see that need, and everyone else is, seems blind to it, and you're like, how can you not see that? I mean, it's got like a spotlight on it. It might be that the Lord's just calling you to it. And maybe you can't meet that need, but maybe you can talk to start talking to maybe Brother Gary, who's our chairman of the board, and say, Brother Gary, I don't, I don't know how we can handle this situation, but, but I see a need here. I don't have a solution. I want to be a part of it if there is a solution to it. But, but you're the chairman. Help us out. And he might say, I don't know. I'll, I'll, talk, I'll talk to Brother Gary over here. I'll talk to Brother Doyle. I'll talk to Brother John. We'll, maybe we'll talk to some of the ladies in the church. We're gonna, if there's a need, we want to meet it. And often Brother Gary does. He calls me up. He'll say, there's a need. How, how should we handle this situation? He often does that, and I appreciate that about him. What am I talking about? I'm talking about taking responsibility for the needs we see. And whether we're part of the solution or whether we're just one that voices it in a loving, careful way and not just as a squeaky wheel. But wanting to be a part of the solution if you can be. Stir up the gift. Stir up the gift. You say, I don't feel like I have any gifts. Then you better start stirring because the fire is burning low. It's burning low. Look, I'm not saying we all have to shout every week or run aisles or all run the backs of pews. I'm not trying to get us to be something we're not. But folks, I want us to be what we're supposed to be. I, I don't care about the show and the pageantry. I just want us to be what God wants us to be. And I don't know what that all means for us. And I don't know what it means necessarily for you. But I don't want us to miss it because we didn't stir up the gift. We forgot to stir up the gift inside of us. We just went through the motions. Paul Harvey tells the story of Captain Ricky uh, Rickenbacker, if I remember his name correctly. World War II. His ship was destroyed and they were in a life raft, nine by five life raft with other men with 10 feet long sharks ramming their raft. Well, that'll get your attention. <laughs> Paul Harvey says that they're out there and it wasn't too long and their food rations were gone. I don't remember. I think Paul Harvey said they were out there for almost two months. Their rations are gone. They're going to die. They know they're going to die unless a miracle happens. Of course, there's no shade out there. The sun's beating down on him. He has, and Captain Rickenbacker has this, has a hat, and he's laying there in, the, in that raft, praying and asking God to save them somehow out in the Pacific. He said that they'd, as he was laying there hundreds of miles from the shore, he said 
a seagull landed on his cap. So he didn't know why it was there. He didn't know how it got there. But they all knew that their lives depended on the captain catching that bird. And somehow, some way, he was able to capture that bird, kill it. They, as I understand, they ate it. They used the intestines for bait for fish. They were able to fish. And, in, and I don't know what they did for water. Paul Harvey didn't say. But they were able to survive until they were rescued because that seagull gave its life for those men. And until he died, every Friday... For the rest of his life, when he got home, he would take a pail of shrimp out to the pier, walk down to the end of it, and give those shrimp to the seagulls that were there as a reminder and as a token of appreciation for the one gull that gave its life so that those men could all live. He wouldn't forget the sacrifice of a seagull. He didn't need a reminder to remember. He just did. And I would suggest to us this morning that we have a responsibility to remember, to remember the generation that's coming, to prepare the way for them, to be an encouragement, not to mock them or or discourage them, we have an obligation to remember those that went before us and plowed a path for us. We pick up their mantles. We have a responsibility to stir up the gift that God's given us, the Holy Spirit, the gift of power and love and a sound mind. And what we do is not just remember, but we act on those memories. And tomorrow, tomorrow we may grill, we may, go, we may have our, our traditional meals of, that you have, corn on the cob, whatever it might be that you have for Memorial Day, watermelon and the like. But we'll take a moment to remember. But you know, it's more than Remembrance. Those soldiers would say to us, keep America free. They want us to put skin in the game. I believe Paul would tell us, get in there. Don't just remember, but get in there and do it. Get in there and honor their memories. Go in there and plow the path. Be a mentor. Be a prayer warrior. Stir up that gift. Do something to show that you do remember. Let's stand together. Father, I've been lengthy this morning. I hope I've not caused us to miss the, missed it to somehow and be distracted. But Lord, help us this morning to remember to remember that every day we live, we walk in the freedoms 
those soldiers gave their lives for. And every day we walk in the freedoms that Christ gave his life for. Help us to honor those memories. Help us to not just think about it, not just to remember, but help us to live our lives in such a way that demonstrates that you are our great God. Be with us as we go our separate ways. Lord, you know about the, the water on the roads. We just ask that you keep us all safe and bring us back at the appointed hour. We ask these things in your precious name. Amen.